Peter, can you just sing the song for us so I kind of have like a... Welcome everybody to the 113th episode of Silicon Zombies, where you get the best brains from the Bay to beyond. We always get to bring wonderful individuals together and demystify emerging technology telling cool stories and throwing fun parties while we're at it. So super jazzed to be coming live from Carmel in the Matic Gallery. So uh, Frank, thank you so much for having us, you and Daisy. Let's do a quick shout out here. Before we jump into the guests, we're really jazzed to talk about the bridge of art, technology, and all the rest. Quick shout out to our sponsors. So nicodex.com for building digital products web or mobile, the codec.com will have them in the show notes, as well as Primero Negocio. So if you're looking to get local customers, Primero Negocio does all of our uh, marketing and social media. They're just absolute rock stars. Their information will be included as well. So let's go ahead and get things kicked off. Super jazz to be bringing you brushes and Vic, number 115. Let's, uh, let's go to the panel real, real quick here, maybe a short, brief introduction. Hello, everybody. I'm Craig Palmer. I'm the CEO of Maker's Place. We're the curators here at the gallery. Um, I've been in tech for about 35 years. I guess this is my seventh market. So I tend to love pushing the boundaries of, of new technology. I've been in the computer business, electronic design automation, enterprise software, digital media technology, and advertising business, and now NFTs and art. And I am super happy to be here and talking about the latter today. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jeff Marinelli, founder of Art and Living Magazine. Um, since 2005, launched it and have really been promoting and supporting all our artists globally. And to really see the NFT market and Craig here with, with Marketplace kicking off to really support our artists is absolutely fantastic to be part of this panel. Hi, I'm Lawrence Fuller, storyteller, actor, poet. I come from the arts and film industry. Uh, NFTs and digital art has enabled me to pull together all my passions and professions throughout my life and uh, been really enthused and lit up by the culture as well. I'm Blakey Stanford. I'm a contemporary artist. I work in sculpture, installation art, and and sharing my with you and I'm out. Hi, my name is Kung Win. I go by Spicer.ai. Um, transitioning into full-time art. Um, I come from the technology industry. Uh, 30 years in software and, and uh, kind of rich. Excellent. Excellent. So let's let's get things kicked off. Um, NFTs. What what are they? Let's just start again. I think NFTs represent a number of things. On one hand, just very simply, it's it's digital art where ownership is registered in the blockchain. That's all it is, really, to a great extent. But I also think it it it, it represents pushing the boundaries of art. For the first time, you can marry static with dynamic with sound in ways that you couldn't do before. For the first time, you can have an artist in Poughkeepsie create something and sell it to somebody in Mumbai who doesn't have a bank account or a credit card. So it, it it represents a number of things, but very simply, I think it's just a new art form and, and bringing the digital art in a way that it hasn't been represented in the art world before. Um, so super excited about it. So we just, we just got a really cool perspective uh, from a Craig, who's got multiple exits in the technology space. I want to move this over to Blakey, who's just a, a, a brilliant artist in the regard and has recently started experimenting with NFTs. Tell us a little bit more about that. Later. Um, so I use NFTs as a way to bridge my physical work. interesting conversation being at a gallery with many artists that are my uh, art, generative art, and they're trying to bridge the physical. So I come from a position with sculpture, installation, art. I document a lot of photography and photography. 
and a, and a peace space was a way to introduce my people into the world that were able to be dressed and ownership. I feel so lucky to have gotten a bit of personal breakdown of like those pieces that are just behind us. Um, and you were sharing with me like you know, how there's uh, how there's multiple levels of expression. Um, in fact, one of them we've got right behind us here. Ooh, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the piece behind you, I call uh, proof of moment. So my project that I'm currently working on, that I've been working on for the last three years, portals. And this series involves installation, environmental installation. I take my physical work into the environment, install it, and then document it with photography, videography, and Polaroid image. And the collection includes uh, multiple dimensions. The concept is expanding dimensions to the concept of the portal. So the work exists in 2D work as addition prints, uh, in the Polaroid work as I call proof of moment because it's unalterable. Uh, physical work that collectors collect at scale and install in environments as physical sculpture in 3D. And then the NFT world has allowed me to bridge into this expansive concept of mentions 35D and going at the moment. Yeah. So you mentioned proof of moment, which is a kind of a, a tongue in cheek place to proof of stake. So, uh, can you share us a, a little bit about what proof of stake means in the NFT world? Um, I'm just kind of new to NFT, so I'm learning a lot about that. I'm very familiar with crypto and Bitcoin, but um, yeah, so this is something new on the NFT. Um, that's all I know about it. Perfect. <laughs> all good. I'll get to talk a little bit more about uh, your role as a technologist and as an artist. How do you build those two things together? So traditionally, I uh, studied photography, uh, fine art and photography, industrial high speed photography like to marry some of that with AI generative art how a new kind of art out of that. Um, I feel like it's still early days AI generative art. It's actually just a new paint color for artists to experiment with, which crosses all different types of mediums. So you're seeing AI mixed with photography, with video, with image systems, and with even visual effects. So it's very exciting. There's a lot of Every kind of artist in every media, too. Well, I just call it a new, new paint color. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and what was it like the first time you saw this, this generative art? Yeah, hey, like this. this I, I was, I was like many people. I was like mesmerized, like a light bulb. Just entrancing and and amazing. Unlike the Terminator realities where AI is going to kill us, I think it's going to seduce us for. <laughs> I'm interested. Can, can we uh, unpack that a little bit? Yeah, um, seduce us. What does that mean? People will, will fixate on figures and faces on bodies, you know, things that are beautiful, nature, landscape. So I think a lot of generative start with something grounded and and but it's been branching out into crazy. Other other versions are being channeled into. I will. And speaking of uh, the AI world and empowering artists, we've got Jeff Marinelli, founder of Art Living. Jeff, share with us a little bit about how you empower artists and where you see the platform moving into the future. Well, <clears throat> I get excited about what Lawrence and Khan and and likely um, is doing. I am. Um, Actually, um, and so my job as Craig's as a publisher is to really empower them. And, and really to empower them is to really understand them. And so I love for them to talk about, I mean, and, and so I love getting excited about knowing what they're doing and, and the time that it takes for them to create what they create. I would love for each of them to actually talk about their most recent piece and how long it took and how they come up about it the concept and how they dive into creating what they created. Uh, as Craig stated, is it music? Is it visual? Um, is it photography? Is it AI? Not, not so much AI. AI is starting to move into that world, but, but really talk about your photography too as the NFT. So I'd love for um, these artists to really, uh, really be focused around them and really have them talk, dive into what they've created because 
they spend a lot of time at mental. And I think Lawrence, if you want to start with what you're creating as an actor and but as an artist itself would be fantastic. Sure. Um, I'd like to get to your question, um, but I, I would like to try and put some historical context on NFTs from an art historical perspective. Um, to say that, say new media and the avant-garde of like the 1960s, where it, coming into play was like photography, was performance, was installations and conceptual art. The, the sort of underlying philosophies of these movements was political and it was revolutionary and it was said to subvert the economic establishment of the time, to sort of subvert the catalog of private property that had been built up by the elites that were collecting um, paintings and sculpture. This is what the avant-garde of that time said, the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then as it sort of went on into the 80s and a huge amount of investment from new money, capitalism came into the, the art market, the avant-garde in the kitsch became one and the same in that they went back to sort of being um, economic objects of commercial value again. And you had Jeff Koons sort of rising up with his avant-garde sculptural works and you had these installations that were establishing themselves into museums. Um, and you had an institutional avant-garde, which sort of proliferated universities and museums to the point where it became the new establishment. And yet it wasn't a free market either um, for new media. It was very difficult to make into an asset. And also beauty in that sense was being sort of pushed to the edges. What gained so much traction uh, seemed to be installations of, of new media and avant-garde work. Um, and, and beauty was sort of in the corner. And for me, I think NFTs now enable an area that has been sort of untapped where technology and beauty can come together and form you know, a, a piece that is, um, that is assetized and can participate in the free market once again. And beauty, therefore, um, I think like a flower amongst the rubble finds its way to succeed again. Or, or Phoenix from the ashes. Um, so I think, you know, taking it from the sapling coming out of the rubble, uh, it all comes back to organic aesthetics. It starts from poetry somewhere in my subconscious, like a seed that's been planted. Uh, in this case, was the journey on my travels to Lisbon and uh, New York. Actually, the art adventures that I went on, like for NFC and NFT NYC, and um, the people that I met, and really came out of sort of my dreams and my subconscious, and writing that poetry out, creating a story, um, and then finding the aesthetics and the beautiful uh, visual pairing with that. And, Quite often I would film, you know, what I was seeing, like I, I came across a pigeon that was it was just a, a beautiful moment that uh, logic couldn't quite describe. I captured it with my camera, I took that footage and ran it through AI with different aesthetics and inspired by classic, classical aesthetics and tradition, classical concepts of beauty. Um, to that and form poetic cinematic pieces that can stand alone or be tell a, a piece of a larger story as well. When you say you put it through AI, what does that mean? I mean, you, okay, you got the pigeon, you've got the visual mm -hmm. side. Are you talk? What talk to me about your AI? AI. I mean, since you've launched into AI, talk to us about, about that process that gave it. So. I use a combination of, of different programs, um, three or four, um, and in some cases it can be as simple as seeing a pigeon doing something really interesting that's captivating and fits into the, you know, a larger story. And then I can just take that and um, and say use stable diffusion to form, um, which breaks down each frame and then 
reimagines each frame uh, depending on what settings and prompts that I that I put in, what aesthetics I'm trying to achieve. Um, or uh, sometimes it will be I will start from an AI image or even a photograph that I've changed into an AI image and then take that and animate it and then take that animation and run it through stable deform again to make that stop motion frame by frame effect. Um, so it's, and sometimes I'll run it through a couple of those processes and then run it back through stable diffusion again until I get it right. And it can take weeks and sometimes months to finish. I love that there's different formats, like you can capture it with an image, you can run it through a program like Stable Diffusion, get inspired in, in that capacity, and that can manifest something completely new. Uh, speaking of photography, Kun, can you talk, us, uh, talk to us a little bit about your process? Yeah, so most of my images starts with uh, original photography or video. Uh, for my video, I'm doing similar uh, concepts where I'll run everything and uh, control net and deform. A lot of the, um, the, I guess the complexity is trying to control the AI to force it into a certain color scheme or color. That's a little bit tricky, trying to get consistency. A lot of the images tend to flicker and that's a lot of the efforts now are trying to stabilize it. Not quite an alternate lens yet, but it has some a crazy effect. Um, but running running through it, there's a lot of processing time, a lot of time, and so it can get rather expensive to try and run in different clips of different images and seeing the results, curating the results, redoing it over and over and over. So something that matches what's in my mind. Well, the good news is compute power is going down rapidly, yes. what could take $100 million right now in a year's time could take one or two. Um, so speaking of that, that process, Blakeney, um, you had earlier in your career, it was very much about submersing the ocean and, and that connection, and now you're working on portals. Tell us about what the process was like for moving one chapter of your art to the next. Um. So the, uh, initially in my career, I wanted to improve the experience of So I developed a method of constructing these panels, these on a large scale, and then casting for the shadow. In the spaces, um, I had panels in my studio and during started applying with the portals. The portals project arrived. Um, I, will, I, I think through inspiration, um, also known as channeling, <laughs> but it arrived into, into the artist. From um, an unmissed project, and true to um, and it's evolving. And such an expansive who I meet and the project itself. And then I get so thrilled hearing you guys talk about how you're using space um, because I feel like this is and the way that I'm using it is from a, such a traditional method as photographer, photographer, applying it in the It's really interesting. A lot of my work looks like it should be rendered in, say, Photoshop, or in the way that we are into the environment. It's actually a very, very physical experience. It's very interesting. It's following it. You're getting your hands dirty. And it's rugged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super dirty. Do you feel like a labor of love for you? It's, it's a labor. It's a, it's a, bur it's a birthing yeah. process. It's a total labor of love. Very, very physical. And it's full installation art. And Industrial materials I work with are part of the experience, and it's really cool bringing into a space like this, where most people, not most, some of the artists are coming from the other direction, where it's AI and it's it's rendered through their it's conceptual and it's through um, words, and, and they're working in another sphere, and we're meeting in the middle of the space in the attic gallery, which is 
such a cool teaching of the lot of them I think look at my work and think that I place that blue square into the window. And I'll tell you that's not the case. <laughs> I have I have videos <laughs> to prove it. Yeah. And it's me out there actually there. And so and that's really important to process the story of so, any and I just I think this is so expansive and I think anything goes, I think that's what's so thrilling and exciting about all of us, everyone listening creating what this world and there is there's no limit. There are there are niches that are becoming um, prevalent, but there are no limits to what this can be and no limits to how we can combine poetry and music and geography and photography and installation work and, and thought and sound and I mean as we brains and all this I mean who knows this but it's like it's really Craig's at the heart of this all. I mean, he has been there. I mean, he stops breathing. His heart stops. Everybody stops. <laughs> so it'd be fascinating. It'd be, it'd be fascinating for Craig to breathe. It'd be fascinating to hear Craig's view on this, uh, um, because not from a technology standpoint, but from an artist standpoint and promoting artists and growing artists and growing his platform to really help this world grow, I think would be a fascinating story to hear all of us of what you have done. Well, I think very simply, I mean, we're trying to do two things. One is we're trying to expand the audience with us. Um, one of the things I love when I'm speaking at an NFT show or a crypto show of some sort is asking people if buying an NFT was the first time they ever collected art. I get tons of fun. So, that's expanding the audience for art in general for people who might be on board with the digital art and then find themselves moving to collect physical art and, and a combination. And that's good for everybody. Expand the playing field. And then we're also trying to, at the other side of the equation, expand the playing field for people who are doing new things to be introduced to traditional collectors. That's one of the reasons why we're sitting here in Carmel in a, in a, in a town that in the square mile has, I don't know, 60 or 80 art galleries, any of them very traditional um, because the collector base here is fairly traditional. And so we're trying to introduce this new art. Place, we try to have programs that optimize the exposure of the top artists, but also really create opportunities for new emerging artists and unique ways. I'll just give you one example. We, about a number of months ago, we did a program with Excedrin, believe it or not. Um, you wouldn't think Excedrin would be in the NFT business. They aren't actually, but what they did do is they wanted to create goodness for their brand, so they actually took um, about $100,000, and we did basically an accelerator for women artists who have either never minted anything in the blockchain space or have minted but never sold. And so we had people buy, and, and then Excedrin put $100 um, offer out on all of the artists that, that won, actually, and kind of launched their careers. And so, you know, whether it's trying to expand the field of you know, the people who buy art, Experience it, or expand the, the mind of, of people who are traditional collectors to think about new art forms that NFTs represent, or whether it's providing opportunities for you know new artists that are doing creative things to be onboarded in a market that is traditionally hard to break into. And those are the things that we're trying to do. That at the end of the day, they're all just expanding this amazing field in, in interesting ways and a number of different. And, and so we're trying to do that continually at this place. I think it's can't see it here. When you, when you look around this gallery, you see this really incredible mix of traditional, physical, digital, all juxtaposed and mixed up. And we want you when you walk in to just start not think. So I want to and really confuse
So how can we make sure that these technologies uh, empower artists and, and don't take advantage of them? <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I don't think the technology is going to take advantage of the artist. Um, an artist like lets the technology take advantage of them. Artists have to figure out how they harness technology to create their own words and use those as tools. Um, Are you referencing in terms of AI or um, in terms of? Well, I just think it's, um, I think there isn't, in terms of taking advantage of, I think of it more as like it's providing a platform for us to have our work seen. Um, and there are a number of platforms. Maker's Place is significant in that realm and provides opportunities in, in my eyes for these different venues. And that's what's been really cool about this too, because the concept is digital. So you have your, fidget, your physical work, your work, and you're sharing and expanding. Um, and it's just like more. I feel like it's something proprietary. It's not proprietary. It doesn't fit. To a certain extent, NFTs are really a democratization of art to a good extent. In the same way that you know, Wikipedia was the democratization of knowledge to a certain extent. Um, you know, because now for the first time, anybody can create something and make it available to anyone in the world um, who can decide to buy it with or without a credit card or a bank account. Really, an NFT um, is, and, and I think that that is hard to do in the traditional art world because you, your only hope is to maybe convince a local gallery to put you up on the wall, and then maybe you can get to a better gallery, and then maybe sometime if you're really lucky, you can get to to more fame and fortune on a more on a grander scale, um, which is still still going to occur forever. But this does provide opportunities for people to gain exposure that would have been incredibly difficult to do, and it kind of democratizes that process in a unique, unique way. So I actually don't think the technology takes advantage of people. The technology is really offering opportunities to people that didn't exist before. Well, and just really, like, put this stamp on, like, I'm the artist, and this is my work, and it happens to be and we're all working together. Like, it's like, this is, it really is like a group of authenticity. Let me say a couple things. Um, we talk AI. Where's throwing AI? I'm 62. When I was 25, <laughs> I used a language called IFPS, which was one of the first AI tools out there. So just like AI has now evolved after 35 years, NFTs, uh, Craig and I, you know, we, we make, you're allowing, uh, first of all, two things what I love about NFTs. What's so powerful about it, <clears throat> it has allowed the unspoken artists to, to be able to merge into a market. They don't have to walk into a gallery. They don't have to be shut down, which they all do. And it allows artists to actually start getting their artwork out there, number one. Number two, it allows the uh, art, uh, animators and creators of all walks of life to actually start getting their works out there that they never, ever had a vehicle to do this. So for me, it excites me on so many different levels because it allows really artists to thrive. That, that's the second thing. The third thing that really NFTs mean to me is the evolution. Craig and I know this is not a short game. This is a long game. This is going to be this generation creating, and then all of a sudden this gentleman who knew nothing about art got excited or knew something, and now he got excited. And all of a sudden, he thinks he can now create. And so... You're going to see this younger, younger generation, but not younger, because there are others and different sectors flocking into it. So over the next 10, 20, 30 years, do not evaluate the NFT market today and where it's at, who's selling what. You, this is a long-term game, and you're going to really see it about. I, I can give an analogy to that. Um, a couple of companies ago, I ran a company called GraceNotes. that did um, technology that was embedded into mostly the music world and home entertainment systems, car systems, media players, streaming services. A friend of mine, Carl Haydn's Brandenburg out of Fraunhofer Institute, was the inventor of the MD3. Actually, we touched it back in the, the late 90s. 
And a, a lot of my friends in the music industry thought that, that digital would become dominant overnight. I mean, literally in a couple of years. Um, it took until almost 2008, 2009 until digital downloads surpassed physical. Um, you know, so from my perspective, revolutions come in evolutionary ways. Um, they don't come overnight. It will be, you know, an evolution for a long time, and this market will grow and grow and grow. And you know, I think it will be hard to recognize what it is in, in ten years from now when you look back. Actually, it'll be very different, I think. But I, I, I think the opportunities are limitless in this space. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it evolves. So we talked a little bit about uh, authenticity and connecting that certificate back to a piece of work. But what about uh, as uh, what about as an actor? I mean, now we've got the ability to uh, bring back James Cagney into the film, or or Marilyn Monroe. Um, and that way, artists can kind of live forever. What does that look like for you as a as an actor? Um, I'm glad you you brought that up, but not necessarily to do with you know how AI can scan and then sort of represent a likeness of another person, which I think is something they're struggling with right now in the Hollywood strike that's going on and that having to undergo some pretty um, some pretty you know tense negotiations there uh, that that I don't think will fall in the favor of yeah we can just scan everybody use their likeness. Um, I think what's more interesting actually is um, as one of, I guess, less than a handful of method actors that are currently in Web3 and assetizing their art form in any capacity, which was actually not really possible before unless you created the film and sold tickets to that film, but rather having it as, you know, hanging alongside an Urs Fisher in a gallery. Um, and I think, and. That's also quite similar to poetry was not able to sort of have its place on a gallery wall quite like it, it does now. And the performance of poetry. Um, and Lee Strasberg, the, the inventor of method acting, um, he was a romantic. I mean, you read the introduction to his book, A Dream of Passion, he's talking about romanticism. And the process of method acting is a fully sensuous one. It has to do with memory, it has to do with feeling, Smell, sense, sense, memory is a really important aspect of it, and um, that the romantic movement has such an important place in our history, and is so relevant today because the romantics were at the dawn of the industrial era. And my is my mic still working? Yeah, we're at the dawn of like the industrial era, where they found themselves at the at this sort of intersection where religion and technology were sort of clashing and in this way that you know the old world the old way of doing things was completely being um, I guess at threat of you know the machine in the yard that was churning up their earthly waves and turning it into uh, they didn't know what I guess um, what we see now as the modern era and uh, we are now find ourselves at this intersection of technology and art old ways of doing things, uh, what, what we consider old ways of doing things now. Um, so romanticism, I think, will always play an important part in any artistic movement. And um, for that to be represented in um, performance and in, in method acting uh, is uh, something unique and untapped and um, something that's otherwise been relegated to other people's stories, like in, in cinema. And uh, you know commercial ventures. I get you know I'm working with Vincent D'Onofrio on, on one of these pieces, and funnily enough, he's sending me the poetry to the works that we're collaborating on in between shooting scenes on Daredevil, Marvel films, and uh, big franchise movies. And because that's what he's being hired to do as one of the best living method actors, um, yet he has this huge well of artistic passion that's just constant, that's every day. And right now during the strike, he's teaching about 100 actors at the Lee Strasberg Institute in New York. Um, that's what he chose to do with his time. 
while while they were on the break from shooting the Marvel series. And and so I think that is a much a much more interesting use case for acting within digital art, AI, and NFT than to consider, well, just take what someone looks like and then put them in a different context. Although we are doing that with our pieces too. I think there is, there's just a lot more scope to it. And, and what about the metaverse? I want, I want to toss this back to Mr. Marinelli over here. Uh, what, is that, what does the future look like for channels and distribution and visibility? First of all, <laughs> I need to say something. What's fucking awesome is you take this guy's brain who's got such a, a, a intellectually complex historical European background and you've given him now tools to actually display his brain, which the tools are really evolving at such a pace actually now deliver it for other people to actually see what he's thinking or visually understand what he's thinking is friggin' awesome. And allowing it to get out there that the market can actually buy is the greatest thing out there. So fucking love it. Where he's headed. I could never think like him. I would never want to think like him. It takes way too much energy. Um, metaverse is just Another technology, AR. We, we we've seen it all. Well, look, that's being bashful, but he's, but art and living is an immersive ability to be able to connect with new artists. This the cultural zeitgeist, exactly. There's applications in in B two B blockchain, like we're, what this, we're doing with Boardwalk, and it also for for art and of all different flavors. This event's about artists, and I fucking love art. That's all. So why don't you share your brain? There's there's a lot of interesting talk. Um, Lawrence mentioned about the likeness. I, I, oh, might be still okay. Um, uh, who I am, or no, what do you guys want to hear? Oh, I, I think we're almost there where we we can just you know, like you said, just take a picture of what's in the brain. Where um, there's you know, right now there's still a little bit of translation. I'm I'm thinking what. What I can do with AI, right now I'm just kind of twiddling with the kind of basic features. You know, when designers first got fonts on desktop publishing, they're trying all the fonts. Right? And now it's refined too. It's such a high, high level of art, you know, for, for earning and, and type of typography. And I think this is the same thing for getting uh, AI. It's just a new, new way of blending. And we're trying everything. We're trying every tool. I'm sure you're running into all the same tools. Everything new, I'm listening to all the different uh, releases every day. I'm doing trying all. Yeah, yeah. Where do you want your work shown? Where do you want to see your work? You want it in Times Square? You want it in a gallery? You want that would home? be epic. I mean, you, you know, a hologram. You want it? Hologram on Times Square, like a gigantic billboard. That would be that would be amazing. Um, I'd like my work in the center column at the MoMA, in the uh, tall column, the multi-story column. Um, no, I would like. Yeah, Let's make it happen. That's where we're going um, with the portals. Um, but um, what you were saying about where this can go and expansion work conceptually. So the portal feels very conceptual to me. And we see the work in 2D, we see it in 3D, we see it in But what I see, where I see it going is this collection of um, data from the portals being around the world and where they end up in their different dimensions. So the 2D work is data mapped on the globe and it ends up physically. 3D work like this. NFT is like this. Data uh, grid of information that creates this web of the never-ending gobstopper of these layers of, of spheres and those are projected into holograms and projected into spaces where we see the work as these layers of interconnectivity and webs of connection to people and connection to place. You know, I, I love how there was just no fear when you're talking about your art or your creative process because it's, it's so aligned, it's what you need to do. Um, Kuhn, you mentioned uh, a, a moment ago about, uh, about fonts. When that first came out, like motion blur within Adobe Effects, People were creeped out. They were scared. They're like, "Hey, I 
my job is manipulating those pixels. That's my job. But then it continued to grow, and then it gave more access for, yeah. for more artists to do more, and then we kept pushing the envelope. Yeah. Uh, the, the tool is just an evolution. Right? We're, we're now moving beyond uh, like hand, hand turning and, and drawing circles with a pull factor. We're doing you know, things more automatically. So the exciting thing is that it's moving so fast. I, I think you, know, you asked me before, where do you want to see, where do you see your work going? I think feature film might be something interesting that will converge you know, music and, and, and acting and, and speech and, and script and motion pictures. I mean, that, that's something that, that seems really exciting and everyone's kind of scratching on it, right? There's a question for Craig. You are selling the collections of arts that you're selling, the massive amounts you're doing. How are you finding people collecting it? Is it going into wallets? Is it going onto people's walls? Where, where, where do you see um, most of the art going? Well, I think um, I, you know, it's all over the map right now. Right? Um, kind of an analogy I would make is, bear with me for a second, is when e-commerce started in 2001, it was probably 15 years until Amazon got to one click. <laughs> There's a lot of friction in this space. There, there's friction around, can I figure out how to buy an NFT? And then once I buy an NFT, can I figure out how to get it in a frame or do something like that? There's tons of rough edges that have to be sanded off in this space to make it a frictionless experience to allow some grandma in Poughkeepsie to want to buy art and, and easily put it on a wall um, at her home. Um, those things will all get ironed out over time, as they always do in any new market. Um, I think there's a there's a ton of people who would like to have more ways to display their art than than is simply provided by the industry today. We're trying to help that process by again showing a range of frames and the way that you can display art here. And we're willing, if somebody wants to buy something here, to ship them a frame with NFT installed if they want it, um, so that it makes it easier to onboard into this space and provide ways in which you can. You can, you know, experience your art in the way that you want to. I think it's still too difficult today, and I don't think it's it's easy enough for people to 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 uh, um, display in the ways that they would like to. Um, but I think a lot of that is coming, and we're trying to, as another vector for us, push the boundaries of making it simpler for people to experience their art in the way that they would like to. If it is too difficult right now, what are those hurdles that we have to jump? Well, I'll give you my own experience. Um, I, you know, when I was looking to, to come into this space, and, and by the way, I've always thought about, um, you know, companies I wanted to run is where's the next place of, of, of the way business is done that's ripe to be reinvented in some way. And I, and I thought that art was one of the last fields that wasn't really touched that much by the internet and e commerce boom in 2000, 2001. Just until Great ownership of digital art, which NFTs on the blockchain actually allowed, that was the last missing piece to really start to create, you know, a new way of experiencing that. Um, and so, um, to a great extent, I think, um, you know, when I was looking at, at, at running Maker's Place, I bought a, a mural. It was one of the earlier frames. And then they supposedly provided an ability to plug in your wallet and just display your art, but half of it was displayed long. With the wrong aspect ratios, I couldn't manipulate it to display it right. I finally had to extract the art and then manipulate it and then load it in separately. And it was just asinine. For, for our <laughs> listeners at home, what, what is a wallet? Can you kind of unpack some of this one? Um, well, so let me let me start here. Makerspace has always tried to make, make art. We experienced with this to be accessible. We were the first guys to allow buying NFTs with um, credit cards and fiat. Um, uh, we were the first guys to hide the ability to need to know how to bring a wallet, a digital wallet to the table. If you don't have one, you don't know anything about it, we create a custodial wallet, that's where the story of art, etc. So we, right from the start, we're the first guys to say, you don't have to know anything about the space, you see something you like, put your credit card down, buy it, it's yours. Um, now, um, for those of you who don't know, a wallet is a mechanism in which you can store your assets. And uh, 
people will learn more about this space. There's a lot of different wallet technologies out there. You can hold your crypto if you own crypto. You can hold your NFT assets um, if you have NFT assets. Um, but you don't have to know that much about the space in order to participate in because of things that we're doing. The things that we work with Craig here in the gallery to make it simple to, to onboard you into this space, et cetera. Um, again, I think this, to me, 10 years from now, no one will need to know what a blockchain is. Wallets, will all the complexity of wallets will all be hidden. All that, all those things that, that seem really complex for new people to the space, will all, will all, be, all those rough edges will be sanded off in, in my experience. Again, if you go back to e-commerce, if you remember the first time that you bought something online, you're like, Christ, do I trust this website? I don't know anything about it. I'm going to give my credit card, and then they give me 75 shipping options, and I have to figure out which one cheaper than the next one. All those things got sorted out over time, so now when a bicep just puts one button on Amazon, shows up at your door, sometimes the same day. All the same things will happen here. This, all these rough edges will get sounded off. It'll get easier and easier. The complexity of the space will disappear, in my opinion. Um, but we are doing as much as we can to hide that complexity so you don't have to deal with it if you don't want to. That's brilliant. So we did have a question from the audience. Ro, want, okay. Ro, do you want to come up here? Um, um, okay. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of a story in the question after that. So I poems, right? So I wrote a poem, and actually, finally enough, it is about English language, it's called the Indus right? And this fella, you guys may know in San Francisco, San Francisco is called Whitechapel. He found I put I put it up as an NFT. Didn't know what I was doing. He bought he bought on a whim and he bought it. A thousand bucks. But how do you extrapolate that? How do you make those connections? Then it goes kind of backwards. So the question is how do we extrapolate those connections? How do you find them? Whitechapel is a gin-only bar, great bar, wonderful place. There is my poem yeah. of, like, of the evolution of the do, do you know it off the top of your head? In this Britain? I mean, uh, is, that, is that okay with you guys if we do yeah, a quick poem reading? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, while you're looking that up, Peter, can, you got a question from the audience here? Yeah. Uh, in the chat, someone wrote, can NFT art, or can physical art be linked to NFTs? If so, how does that how does that integration work? Yeah, I, I, I can talk to that because we were a pioneer in this space. Also, a lot of times, um, if if you buy something digital, maybe if you bought it with crypto, we don't even know anything about you. We just have a, an address. We don't have a wallet address. We don't have your name. We don't have your phone number. We don't even know where to ship something physical. So one of the things we did at Maker's Place, we launched this early in the year, is we provided an ability if you bought an NFT, you can unlock physical things that go with it. Um, and there's an unlock process, and then there's kind of like a, a web to checkout process. If you unlock a physical piece and you want to either get that physical piece because you got for free with it, or maybe there's an additional charge for it, because that's why the artist did it, then we have a process where you, we, we ask for your address and your phone number and all the things that you need to know to ship it to you. Um, and so that's how these things get connected from a perspective of delivery. Now, we are experimenting and looking at ways in which we can more completely tie a physical object in some mechanism to a digital object and register them both in the blockchain and in the digital way. There is more work to do to really integrate the two of them in a tight way in which the character can actually be resold also on secondary markets. There is more things to do, but at least we got the ball rolling in a way where people who want to use digital physical combinations had a vehicle to be able to do that in a simple way and have um, both the digital aspect and the physical piece shipped in the appropriate way to, to a buyer. So we've started the ball rolling on that, but there's more work to do. So if collectors at homes wanted to learn more about pneumatic and and uh, connect with these packages of the physical and the digital. How, how does that work? Well, they can go to Maker's come visit here. Come visit here <laughs> and talk to Craig Rose, the owner, um, or you can go to makersplace.com and we actually have on our homepage um, what we call uh, we've got a series of genres that we promote because we think they're special. AI generative art is one of those. Unlockables is another one. 
um, unlockables can include physical pieces, but also other things. Maybe you get access to them. There can be many different ways, things tied to a digital asset. Um, physicals are one of them. So if you just go into that genre unlockables and look at the, the art that's there, you'll see a bunch of digital physical combinations. And you, if you like one, you can buy them. That's it. Well, I'd like to unlock a, a poem. So, Ro, if you want to. The young drained across the pond and the language that we speak. So, the. <laughs> what am I doing? Welcome. <laughs> I'm shy, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I write it. I write it. There once was a mighty kingdom lost to folklore and history. Little is known of these kings who used to live quite peacefully. Peacefully. East of Ireland is where they were prescribed, and only on the innest of Britain did their name survive. Pillage and plunder would come their way from the tribes and kings who seemed to have gone astray. But through these bloody battles, lost without ink, new children opened their eyes, the soft, gentle breeze. And even though what seems to be dead, the spirit lives amongst us. And it should be said that what is read and written came from the children that would have to be forged. All right. I'd like to continue with conversation about Craig real quick. You know, when Craig talks about unlocking uh, physical, um, he's he, he's referring to quite a bit of things. Um, promoting artists, you know, um, what he's saying is you can within the what we call what I call the smart contract to say come and meet the artist or you know get first grabs grabs at my next piece of art. So when Craig talks about, I mean, literally the NFT is a smart contract, and in it as an artist uh, is ways there there are ways to excite um, buyers, collectors to continue buying and collecting, and they get other incentives uh, to do this, and that's what he's referring to. Let me add something to that. I mean, I think, I think one of the, the beautiful things about digital NFTs is, as opposed to the way in which traditional art works, if I was a traditional artist, I might have my works in a gallery sold to people I don't even know who I will never meet, who I will never talk to, or have any conversation. That can all, all that can often happen. One of the beauties of this digital world is you could have a conversation with who buys your art every day if you want, which is what a lot of the artists are doing right now, is creating a community around the people that love them and want to collect their art, and creating a vehicle for communication with them that's an ongoing channel of interaction, which would have been very difficult to do a number of years ago. And that's another huge opportunity in this space that the best artists are taking advantage of because um, they're doing it in a way that's creating a lifelong audience for those that they actually know and interact with. I actually think it's the parallel of what some of the best music artists are doing today also is, is creating a connection to their fans in ways that they can communicate with and talk to and interact with in ways that they couldn't do before when all they did is work through a label and, and did some concerts. So I, I think to your point on how do you make connections on things, um, I think the best digital artists today are the ones in, in which are creating they're doing the grinding to create a social following, are creating connections of ongoing interactions with the buyers of their art, and 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 really creating a community around the people who love what they're doing. Yeah, building community. So, so speaking of which, of empowering artists, can tell us a little bit about how we can connect with your art. What comes next, and uh, and how can we how can we support what you're building? Currently, I'm on social media, uh, mostly on Instagram. Um, but Spicer, uh, P Y Z C E R dot A I, uh, I have a, quite a following there, and I'm telling an ongoing story about uh, people in the future, about a million years in the future, what their world looks like, and how technology has become art, and how you know. Everyday things to them might be magic to us. So that's, that's kind of an interesting story I'm trying to tell on a daily basis. I'll, I'll post an image a day, some some dream I have about that. Uh, but yeah, my audience will tell me things. Uh, you know, I get feedback from them, and it's nice. I, I, 
Um, I'm also on Instagram. Oh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Blakey Stanford. Blakey Stanford. Um, and uh, what, just quickly, what I find really expansive about this space here is that we're connecting, like you said, Craig, with people and collectors from all over the world, all times of day and night, um, meeting on Twitter spaces, talking to each other, supporting each other, rallying behind each other. It's really like such a, the world that I've experienced in it is such a positive space. And all it takes is this interaction and, every, and people are responsive. And so I totally encourage you to just put it out there. And go on a Twitter space with five people and just have a conversation. And you're going to be in all different time zones. And you leave feeling so invigorated and related and supported. And every person that is listening and is creative, you have something to bring to the world. And it's 100% encourage you to go Like, just real quickly, how, do, how could you help artists who want to create, want to put stuff out there, but there's fear of judgment or there's some kind of residual fear? How, how do you get over that? How do I get over that? There's... Um, uh, you connect through, you listen to what you have to bring to the world. I had a near-death experience at 27, and um, it shoved me into the reality of life is very brief here, and what we're here to do is, is, is be our true self. And so my work comes from my self-centered place, and I hide behind it and let it lead the way, and just put it put it out there. And this space really truly allows for that, and that's what's so beautiful about it. And you can be anonymous. So many people in the space are anonymous. In fact, had I started my career 10 years later than I did, I'd probably have a code name of XYZ385, but instead it's my name and face. But really, truly, you can be anyone, and it's beautiful, and just you, you do you. You! Love that. Love that. Um, I, I would also like to take this opportunity to manifest where I would like to see my work shown. Um, I I do have a, a secret. Uh, I do have a secret. My 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 late father was um, a notorious art critic in England, and he was um, just a, a fervent debater. And his archive, when he passed, I was about three, was moved into the Tate Museum archive next to Roger Fry, who was the founder of the post-impressionist movement. And, one of the um, most recognized art critics in history. So it would mean a great deal for me to one day shown at the State Museum. On the socials, if you want to see it on a, on a phone or, or your desktop, my socials are at Lawrence Fuller. Um, in September, we're working with a few companies around the world Los Angeles, in New York, in London, that have immersive experiences. And I, I know that Craig is also working with companies around the world um, to create very bespoke installations of digital art that can only be experienced in the there and now and uh, provide the, the true use case for digital art, that it can be uh, fully immersive, fully sensual, that can be all around you, that can be fully encompassed. And so in, in September, we're going to have an exhibition with myself and Vincent and three of these immersive venues around the world. Um, and we'll also be including uh, a couple of these pieces that are on display with Make Display. Uh, uh, probably on my socials, at Lawrence Fuller. And one day at the Tate. One day at the Tate. <laughs> we'll, we'll include all these links here as, as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And you know, what's really kind of also fascinating is that there was a fellow named George DeBellios who uh, he's a, a doctor, and he purchased a lot of pieces for starving artists in the Impressionist era. And uh, and because he was there to support much more beautiful people to unlock for the rest of the world. Like, like Craig, you, you're doing that in large part as well. Uh, so so thank you for that. Um, but I guess unless we, unless we have any other questions, uh, okay, we'll wrap. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another superb episode of Silicon Zombies, where you get the best, bank, the best brains from the day Now you've got it. Thank you, Peter, for helping us out here. And check out Nomadic Gallery, and be sure to tune in uh, for uh, a week from tomorrow, and we'll have more of the best brains. So thank you, everybody, and thank you to our marvelous panel here. Thank you. <laughs>
time after time. I am lost. 